So this evening, while I suck on my Ayurveda <laughs> lozenger, <laughs> I'd like to introduce you to Leela. Uh, Leela is a senior Dharma teacher in the West. Her home is just outside uh, Jerusalem. She has been here to uh, uh, the motherland of Dharma many, many times. And was telling me a little earlier on that uh, she was here when we had our first retreat here in uh, here in this hall in uh, 1999, the beginning of uh, that year. She and I taught together for many years in uh, uh, Israel, teacher training course in mindfulness as well, in the last uh, year or two, and much, much more. It's a real delight uh, to see her here. And she's been staying down in South India with Yoav, her partner, and in the not too distant future, a group of uh, senior citizens, shall we call them, of uh, Israel is flying to sit uh, a uh, retreat uh, with her in uh, Hebrew. So, uh, um, Lila asked, asked me if I'd uh, like to respond to some questions, and we've been having this, uh, these exchanges, or asking questions, and my responding to them. I've several now, haven't we? over recent uh, years. So I thought it might be possibly interesting for those who wish to lend an ear as well. But if you prefer to go and do something else, honestly, <laughs> feel absolutely, absolutely free. Not that there is much else to do around here, but anyway. Uh, yeah. So, um, the general thread and form is that uh, Leela asks me some questions and if they're easy I'll respond to them and if they're difficult I'll ask her to ask another question. <laughs> Alright? She'll say no. <laughs> and she'll say no. <laughs> and we hopefully all being well, our good voices, both of us, <coughs> will uh, reach you at the back of the hall with the usual understanding if it is a little difficult, please come, bring your chair, cushions or whatever, and just sit uh, closer. Okay. So, good evening everyone. And I want to start by saying I certainly not have that in mind when I was planning of having another... Uh, film interview with Christopher, even though it's, uh, the purpose is uh, to go for the wider Sangha and uh, to be on YouTube and so forth, but um, yeah, it's going to be interesting as well and, and thank you for your presence and for your practice. Um, as Christopher said, for me it's a very special uh, place as well and coming back here after so many years and, and having Actually, it's, it's the same environment. And the Dharma is, uh, it seems like, infinite in this place. And, uh, of 
course, 2,600 years ago, and we are sitting on those waves. I asked Christopher earlier if he has um, any preferences regarding this talk, because usually we have it just on a one-on-one, and, and he said, absolutely none. So I get to ask whatever I want. <laughs> Let's see where it will take us. Okay. Yeah. So I wanted to um, start with asking you about freedom and non-freedom from the many years of uh, teaching and practicing the Dharma for you and meeting so many people on the path what is the main obstacle in your view of freedom it's a good starting question (laughs) (laughs) the first response was thought that I am not free and believing it this I would call a shorthand description of the major obstruction the uh, emergence of uh, this thought can show itself in various ways when I can't do what I want when I can't get what I want when I'm stuck when I'm trapped when I don't like myself and the thought hooked in to a habitual way of looking that movement is enough to give us the sense I am not free so it starts with a thought no that would give thought a bit too much authority Um, it has no start to it because it is a certain kind of movement movement there are blind spots in the human being and the combination which has no obvious beginning to it is some interaction is going on concepts, feelings, self I memory, beliefs, constructions. There's a kind of dynamic, psychological, mental, historical, past and present, fusing together, and then it emerges, and that emerges in such a way that there is enough belief and solidification, strengthening of it, that one honestly, sincerely believes in it. And this is the problem. This is the problem. The belief 
the solidification is the problem? The, or the whole, in the way, the baggage, the package uh, it, itself. So sometimes it is helpful in seeing through this, the knowing and seeing through it, perhaps to give extra care to a feature of it, as for example, do I really need to believe this? That's a simple question. What is the point of believing this? Getting what I want would make me happy, believing that I haven't achieved very much in life, or whatever. So we might take belief. We might say, gosh, this is a pattern of looking at things which has got some history to it. It didn't start today. It has to have the past in it. Do I really need to let the past shape the way I look at the future? Or, I'm sorry, at the present or the future? Um, it could be just seeing clearly a thought is just a thought. What is the point of giving something so insubstantial as a thought or a stream of thoughts in such a way that we impregnate the thoughts with truth and reality. The way we think about another, the way we think about ourselves. What on earth would one want to do that for? Thoughts are so ephemeral, so changeable, so unreliable. Why invest certain thoughts with that kind of reality? That's what I meant. So, um, if I understood you correctly, the mm. work would be to work, I would say, mentally mm-hmm. with the understanding of, let's say, what a thought is mm-hmm. and the impact it has on our lives. Mm. And in a way, putting this question in order to create some space between yes. us and what burdens us, isn't it? That, that w- w- would be, but... other ways of responding uh, as well because there is quite often a way we kind of make a weight or a burden it might be about ourselves it might be about oneself and the other it might be a weight about the state of the world which weighs upon us uh, there One approach is using the good resources of the mind. And the old uh, analogy of the Buddha. We can reflect with the wise use of thought, such as the questions I just raised. And the reflection is some thought about and the, uh, the Buddha and the tradition here says it's a little bit like one has a thorn in there 
and some of us in the days of the, in the forest, find another thorn to get this thorn out and get rid of the thorn there and then it doesn't need this thorn and let it go. So we can use, as one approach, reflection, that's taking the thorn, skillfully to get the thorn out where we're stuck, where we're fixed, where we're trapped, and then let go of that thorn. <coughs> Just to repeat, in the uh, net of things, it is just one approach of many, many, many. Another would be not to use the mind, not to use reflection as the thorn to dig out the thorn. Yeah. But then to respond more with the feeling life. And the teachings and explorations in the feeling world is so equally precious and important so in that we're not bringing in thought we're listening to the feeling and some of those feelings precious and deep kindness and friendship and care forgiveness uh, uh, empathy have a deep feeling quality uh, to them and the listening to the, the, the feelings uh, as well, in a way, begin to expand out further than I and my and the thought world. And sometimes, as mentioned a little while during the talk today, the divine nature of the heart and the depth uh, there, these teachings are still not deep enough we can go really deeply into the heart. I mean, extraordinary depth, actually, uh, there. It's a divine place, as the abiding of God, as the Buddha would say. But there's also that voice which is deeper than that realm. And sometimes uh, there is the movement through, kind of, through heart and mind which reveals something, an insight, a realisation, a sudden discovery, and quite often utterly unexpected. It could not have been anticipated, but there is a knowing and a seeing this is really important. And that voice, that <coughs> profound intuition, that realisation, we want to keep our mind open to, our heart open to, and uh, receptive. And that one will blow away the eye and the mind, all the obstacles, just like that. That's the cream of the cake. Go on. <laughs> I'm drinking it. <laughs> drinking it. The cream of the cake. Well, we all want that. <laughs> and would you say it's like you used actually this phrase in, in your talk earlier. It was mm. beautiful. You said you, you ended up with those sentences. It's closer than you think. think yeah. Which is actually has double meaning here. But yes. uh, closer than mm. you think. So it's not like somewhere after 20,000 retreats or mm. it can happen like that. <coughs> and still... <coughs> 
there are conditions that help <coughs> help it. Hence the love interest. India. Eh? India. India with India without water and lozenges is no longer India. <laughs> Some other place. I remember you coughing twenty years ago. I'm sure, <laughs> hey, I know. It's hey, been I like see. every year. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's the yeah. annual renewal. <laughs> and <laughs> and of, keep of, coming back of, to of India. sensations in the chest. <laughs> wow. <coughs> now to that one I really bow down. What's year that? after year. I mean I remember you sick in India every time I see you here. Somebody wrote a blog apparently, Christopher never gets sick in India, so <laughs> the, 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 there are a variety of views. <laughs> yeah, but the persistence of keep coming back, it's incredible, beautiful, the love. It's either incredible or madness. Right, remind me of the question. Yeah, let me rephrase it. <laughs> Would you say that a retreat form, like mm. the one we, you guys are participating in yeah. right now, helps, um, <laughs> let's say, um, produce some beneficial conditions for the arising of that which is unpredictable, mm uncontrollable, wild in any sense possible, the cherry on our cake, what are we practicing for? There was another bit that you said was more interesting. <laughs> Which but one? It's just slipped from my mind. <laughs> the lozenge tasted too good. Somebody <laughs> listen? <laughs> oh, the, the closest of the thought. Oh, okay. Thank you. That's okay. that's then we'll deal with it. Okay. That's more interesting. Go there. All right. The uh, the the world of the thought it really has a you know remarkable, beautiful, and uh, exceptional place in human consciousness. Can pay much respect to thought. And thought may come to us through uh, knowledge, experience, through uh, information, and much, much more. And very easily we move into the field of thought and there's some understandable identification with it. I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking uh, about that. The difficulty is the self-flow in the thinking mm -hmm. tends to make a gap. In spiritual terms, that gap, I feel, can be necessarily, unnecessarily increased. A voice of authority, either oneself or the other, may say, the path is long. It takes many lifetimes to reach it. One has to do an extraordinary amount of practices. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, there, it's better if one is ordained. It will be easier. Being a male. Being easier. male, patriarchal, so men are better off. Uh, all of this nonsense. And the thought hears that from within or without, 
or read and then gets the idea, well, the goal, awakening, liberation, living with wisdom, not suffering over the circumstances of life, seems very, very far away. And that particular thought will make a gap between here and there. But the language of path and goal, widely used by, in the, by the Buddha and in the teachings, this is the dilemma, genuinely can have a value to it. There is a value for women and men to say to themselves and to each other, I don't know what liberation is. I don't know. What, I don't remember any profound realizations. I don't haven't felt the hand of God on me or whatever language feels right. So therefore, that metaphor, path and goal, feels relevant. I'm not where I wish to be. I wish. I hear that there is, there is a path and there is a goal and that path and goal can be developed and I'm told that the Buddha outlined many important features of it. Right view, right means fulfilling and nourishing and understanding and intentions and attitudes and livelihood and actions in the world and meditations, <coughs> mindfulness and much, much more. And some, <coughs> including <coughs> in this room and elsewhere, are dedicated practitioners towards the goal. Staying in touch with oneself, the process. Hopefully, the sense is that the goal is much closer at hand than what I originally thought. What I originally heard from the other. It's closer. And in the exploration, the richness of the path, it gets closer and closer. And then, as you heard at the end of the talk, I said, all that we seek. The end of the path, whatever language we like, is actually closer than the thought. Only the thought can make a gap between where I am and where I wish to be. And the Dharma is the ending of that gap. It's finishing it. There. And therefore, a little bit with the flavour of the talk uh, this afternoon, the, the quest for freedom, it is to give the beloved meditators a sense, or, a, or as I said, a, a taste, that the freedom we speak about may be in small drops there, but it is close. It's not that far away. 
We have regular tastes of it, particularly in the Sangha, and the Sanghas of the world. And it's those expressions of it through our action, through our voice, through our silence, through our meditations, until being a fully liberated human being is so obvious. And possible. Eh? And possible. 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 So possible, and it's possible because it's closer than the thought. That it's possible or not possible. Beautiful. But, <laughs> it's not the thought that is the hindrance, isn't it? Otherwise, it would be too easy to... Hmm. I mean, there's methods to stop thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, no, you're, 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 you're right. So, if the thought had some inherent reality to it and real power to it freedom and liberation would be pretty well impossible because thought would be the reality of things so while respectful and acknowledging and challenging thought questionable thought, unethical thought ethical thought good thought, bad thought, uh, all, all of that, that that relationship uh, to that, we might say, as you said, there are ways to stop thought, reduce thought. My goodness, meditation is one of them. But the temporary stopping of thought, valuable as it is to have the space from thought, the thought will come back in a way which easily it kind of regains its authority. Yeah. So it's the thought together with the belief. Mm. For example, I'm not good enough. Yes. I'm never going to make it. I'm less than someone. Mm. Or the opposite. Yeah, I'm more yes. than someone. Never mind what we think about ourselves, I'm, I'm asking you. Mm -hmm. That which we think about ourselves can never um, hindrance, hinders mm -hmm. our freedom. Mm. Also, when you think about that. What do I think about that? <laughs> <laughs> What's your thought? Um, it is the wonderful uh, capacity of the, of the uh, uh, human being, and the Buddha's addressed this. Uh, as well. In the traditional view, spiritual view, we, various languages, but we had to purify ourselves, clean the mind of all the stuff, through all the unnecessary, unhelpful thought processes. And then, having done all of that, purified ourselves, a word incidentally that the Buddha rarely used, and having done all of that, then we will know freedom. We've made ourselves pure, and through that we will know freedom. 
and that would be our liberation, our full awakening. And there are plenty of teachings here in uh, India, Buddhist world, and uh, in the West, uh, of course. But the Buddha Buddha is not comfortable with this kind of viewpoint, as you know. And makes it quite clear it is we are able, with our capacity as human beings, to kind of coexist with this. What I mean is there can be a genuine depth of an untroubled freedom which is for the most part the norm of daily life and still these thoughts they rose in the mind of the Buddha so Mm. what about the rest of us these thoughts can still arise I am like this like that or whatever it might be and the the Buddha uses this uh, lovely uh, statement it's the personification of it in um, like in religious language called Mara Uh, and Jesus, Mara came to Jesus or Satan is the same it's a thought inside which uh, arises and there is a temptation to identify with it to believe in it yeah um, sometimes it's notions of superiority like you referred to sometimes it's notions of inferiority and even for the wise and deeply free human beings this thought can arise and it arose with the Buddha and he said I see you Mara so it's, we're not trying to extinguish every thought of self even every thought, even those thoughts of self which are troubling and we don't really wish to believe in they may still emerge out but there will be enough clarity to see it and therefore not get stuck and trapped in, uh, trapped in it and I think to me it's a very human and generous approach rather than Oh, I have to realise no self, I have to get <coughs> get rid of myself or there'd be no more thought arising or whatever. <coughs> I think it's so so important this <coughs> this uh, special point because uh, so often um, we we have this tendency, most of us, to think about ourselves in the pejorative ways. And in retreat, actually, it can be much more um, apparent because we are 24-7 with our minds and the burden of the thoughts. And just to hear that actually it doesn't matter what we think about ourselves, that in and of itself cannot hinder us from being free. That's such a radical view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. The capacity, to use the the metaphor, um, the sun shines despite the fact that some dark clouds might blow across the front of it. Yeah, and from where we are, we might 
look up and see the clouds, but, mm. and that's all we see, but actually the sun is always there. Exactly. Which is, I, I find it very, um, not only comforting, but uh, shaking the, the yes. very foundation of the way we think, because we tend to so much believe, as you said earlier, mm. in our thoughts, and believe this is the thoughts of myself, it's who we are. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. The, the other kind of insightful uh, review uh, out of the Buddha with regard to this is that those who have gone deeply into life and expanding and opening their heart, their consciousness, their being, etc. Such human beings cannot hide their faults from themselves any longer nor can they hide their faults from other people no hiding place <laughs> no hiding place that the, the being uh, the system the, the being and the awarenesses and the explorations of deliberately or not with the depths of meditation and sharing are touching those dark corners and they get released in such a way that we can't hide from them and others will see them probably more clearly than we do <laughs> it's nice yeah, it's very nice in the, I don't know if it's the Buddha's words or the tradition that came afterwards, mm. but um, the notion of conceit is mm. the last one to go. Mm. Mm. I.e., when um, fully liberated uh, human being, the mm. last thing before she or he becomes fully liberated is the sense of I, me, mine, and what specifically mm. is referred to as conceit. Right? Yeah. What's your view? So, it's coupled with something else. Two, two aspects. So, in the body of the exploration, for some, in the hall and elsewhere, there can be a moment, or gradually, in which there is a, a real turning of the corner the English-Western metaphor. In uh, Buddha's language, it is entering into the stream. And what that means is there is uh, a love of the Dharma, the teachings and the practices, and these tastes, maybe short-lived, moments of freedom and insight, in which one knows and the passage of time confirmed this, one could never turn one's back on it. One could never turn one's back on the experiences and insights that have come, on the importance and value of ethics and mindfulness and awareness and heartfulness. One is deeply committed to it and one just can't walk out on it. And this is, this, this is called turning the stream. Um, entering the stream or turning the corner uh, there and that 
contribute in the dead, steady commitment to the gradual fading away of the neediness and the blame and the fears and the anxiety. They're fading away. They're present, working with them, sometimes really needing the good support of others. And that lends itself to this whole liberating process. And just as you pointed out there, Lila, the challenging ones to dissolve um, is this conceit, the word is mana in Pali, which is notions of I am superior, I, therefore comparing with the other, I am not as the inferior, we might say, there, and also I am equal. And sometimes in this world, we're all the same, we're all equal. No, we're not. There are differences. Uh, Differences in wisdom, differences in the heart, in the clarity, much, much, much more. So it's just really noticing if that is arising, if we really think and believe that's true. And the other which is said in the same voice, at the most subtle uh, level, this word avidya mm-hmm. is used, and you may be found in deep, genuine wisdom in life, but the Buddha said there still may be some areas which we are ignoring. Tremendous freedom and clarity and wisdom and there are some areas which we are neglecting. And sometimes we ourselves, so to speak, we don't see it. We just don't see it. But others may see more clearly. And in this Sangha uh, of um, exploration uh, there, it is important to have that freedom to express with each other what we see and what we don't see. And in that respect, that response or feedback applies equally to those of us who have the privilege of sitting on the throne, the teachers. It is a sangha of shared exploration, of learning from each other and touching upon any blind spots, any areas we don't see. And therefore, the voices of the Sang are just as important for the teachers as the teachers' voices for the Sangha. Yeah. I came, we came from uh, Tilvanamalai, mm. other friends were there as well and um, as you pointed out in your talk the uh, wisdom of non-duality often um, directs and points um, uh, the person into um, saying uh, you are already that you don't need to practice you don't need to do anything it has the flavor a little bit of that which you mentioned before that nothing can hinder you from your freedom and yet 
there is there is a difference um, mm. in the practices. There is a difference also in the world view. Mm. Um, from what I see around me, many of those teachers um, don't actually um, not just speak but also practice about uh, ethics and, mm. and so forth. In your view, the trademark mm. of freedom, mm. of liberation, has to involve ethics mm. as well? Mm. Uh, uh, this exploration of uh, ethics <coughs> has a variety of, a variety of areas. And I regard it as... Um, um, an ongoing exploration for those engaged in the exploration of liberation and for the liberated and for the liberated uh, with regard to that the, the essential um, ethics are um, common enough and the um, essential ethics non-harming non-exploitation non-abuse these are ethics and hopefully that voice contributes to uh, informing what we say, what we do, and what and uh, what we, what we write. And it would be, I think, rather foolish and unskillful of us if we don't address it. Um, I'll just wait to see. If it's an issue, no problem, we'll just carry on. Battery gone? Huh? Yes, hmm? She's yes. at the car oh. um, yeah. I have a card here. Um, and to give an example, fairly vivid one, um, my uh, Nashona, my daughter, gave me as a Christmas present <laughs> the password to her password to Netflix <laughs> and friends as friends will say to me oh, Christopher you have to watch this one <laughs> exactly and the, and the one that was repeated I'm talking a lot in I know what a wild say. wild country <laughs> which is an account of Osho and the Neo-Sanyasins going to Oregon to start up their community. I just knew you were going to talk about Osho. Uh, hey, you, <laughs> yeah. you mentioned yeah. the other, and yeah. we'll, we'll yeah, yeah. Bring, I haven't thought about him for years, but when I watched yeah. this film I thought about it. Cool. And just a very 
quick background with, uh, with this. During the mid-1970s, I was teaching here in India. Some friends who were sannyasins invited me to um, Osho's uh, ashram uh, in uh, Pune. I had two meetings with uh, Osho, witnessed what was t- taking place, spent six or seven days there, uh, uh, left, and friends, Dharma friends, who were going there would regularly keep me in touch and in contact with um, uh, developments, the good, the bad and the ugly. Uh, there, and then the movement came from Pune to um, move to uh, Oregon uh, there and again with 50 visits to the US over during uh, a 25 year period and again friends who were uh, uh, sannyasin, keeping me well up to date with uh, developments there, the good, the bad and the ugly. So I had an interest in watching this six hour documentary on this um, uh, uh, period of time. And that which some of us knew about and many others knew about um, were recorded, had been recorded over the uh, 80s and uh, development, the rise, uh, the fall and the complete collapse of all that took place uh, uh, there in which some members of the community took to arming themselves in which members of the uh, community were, were making threats the bringing in of the poor to change the voting system um, uh, within the, the local town and much, much more. It lasted for about five years, what was supposed to generate a new city of 100,000 people. It lasted for about five years. The person who was sitting with me at home watching this Netflix over two or three evenings, two hours an evening was enough, uh, 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 watching this through and of course one or two people are recognised in, the, uh, in there uh, with Sheila, his secretary who he rubbished and put down, I'm sure it did it was difficult to listen to uh, uh, that and the person said to me at the end of it what's your response? <laughs> and the, the first word out of my mouth was that tradition lasted um, for five years and I'm happy to be associated with a tradition that lasted 2,600. That's the difference. And why is that so? Despite all the issues and problems in the Buddhist tradition, I've spoken about them enough, I've written about them in, uh, uh, enough, but it does include ethics. That's what it does. It's part of our practice. It's part of our concern. And it's part of the language that we use. And sadly, when that is absent, people's tendencies and the harmful negative ones will tend to be emerge, tend to emerge. And there's a very, very painful cost to many people there. Very painful. Yep. Um. In the depth of it, 
the teaching of uh, non-duality that mm. you and I love. Amina mm. Maharshi, Nisra Gadatta Maharaj, that you actually met. Mm. You had an exchange with him, you've been telling me. And others that were really in the writings and in the teachings, they point out to a reality that is very tangible and also elusive in a way. Mm. Yeah. You can't really touch it, but maybe there's, you can intuit it. Mm. And it's in different words than the, than the ones the Buddha was using, mm. but also there's some similarities. Mm. Would you say they point out the same thing? Same freedom? <laughs> <coughs> Who am I to compare? <coughs> Having just spoken what we were <coughs> speaking a moment or two ago. Um, I appreciate the flexibility of the Buddha Dharma. I like the fact that it's quite okay to be a dualist. There is greed mm. and there is non-greed. Yeah. That's a duality. I prefer the non-greed yeah. to the greed. Yeah. I like uh, the fact, <coughs> as Ramana did as well, that there is practice. He emphasized practice. He was a yogi of uh, practice, which has often been forgotten. Yeah. I like the fact that Ramana Mahashi, who I love dearly, said, I am not a dualist and I am not a non-dualist either. Free of that. That I appreciate. So, it genuinely can deeply be really helpful. Which I think is part of the richness of the Advaita, the non-dual tradition. To kind of stop grasping one thing and something else. And all the comparing and uh, the friction uh, which goes uh, with it. And, And the other aspect which I think is the most important of all, in this Buddha Dharma tradition, one of the limits of it, in my view, in the generality, is that there is a tendency so easy to identify with the path. So it always keeps the goal rather different, you know, rather further away, or a bit close, but still away. And this is a duality. And the Advaita non dual world where there are some, some fine teachers around have actually been very supportive and, um, and insightful, some of them supportive and uh, uh, I- insightful in reminding that the non-dual if we like the language or liberation really is much closer at hand and so there have been a number of people who have 
gone from retreat to the emphasis on path and goal. And then have had some genuine insights and realizations there, Punjaji, of course, there, and the Sagadata, and the Ramana, and other fine uh, teachers. And I think that's been genuinely really supportive for, um, uh, for, for the Sangha. There is a hesitation, finally, yeah, of in the Vipassana world specifically, more than in Zen, I mean, and more than in Dzogchen, but in the Vipassana world, for some kind of hesitation to speak about liberation in a clear, direct, regular way to really make it the centre. There is, even though when we had 10, 15, 20 years ago a meeting of the Vipassana teachers, wealth of experience, and they were asked whether they had experience of the unconditioned or liberation, different words. And all but one said yes. But nevertheless, generally speaking, there appears to be a hesitation uh, there. Um, And a little bit, having spoken to, is a hesitation of not wanting to sound conceited. A hesitation of sounding like I might be promoting myself in some way or other. Or creating some kind of gap in the mind of the listeners. Or um, creating a gap, exactly, exactly, and therefore knowledge duality uh, in the mind of, of, the, uh, of the listeners. And so some teachers are just naturally, almost instinctively, much more comfortable about speaking about practice uh, rather than practice, yes, but the end of practice yes. and the end of practice on this retreat. So that's where I think the non-dual is, is the support. Yeah, it's a jewel. So you mentioned the unconditioned. Oh, did I? <laughs> the unconditioned. Mm-hmm. And I recall these uh, phrases by the Buddha saying, because there is the unconditioned, mm-hmm. there is an escape from the conditioned. Nearly, didn't quite say that, but uh, go on. I'm rephrasing it probably. There is an end Mm -hmm. um, to the condition. If there wasn't an end, Mm. do you remember the exact wording? More or less, I believe. Go on, please. (laughs) (laughs) Time's getting on. Anyway, uh, I'll. Last one. Okay. Human beings live in the world of the conditioned. Ulla, Christopher, this, that and the other. What we see, hear, smell, taste and touch, feel, think, remember and reflect. We live in a world of conditionality. If we didn't have conditions, just here, we wouldn't get old. The environment, what we eat and what touches the skin, conditions, everything's conditions, conditions. And it could look like, it could experience like, wow, can I get through this life (coughs) dealing 
as wisely and clearly as possible with all these conditions that I have to live through every day, all the conditions. Um, and then he says, yes, we live in this field of conditions uh, there, but there is an exit, and the exit is only one, that which is unconditioned. Uh, there. And this sets up for quite a few people uh, um, uh, a challenge uh, there. I believe it's a little bit more easier to understand from the standpoint of liberation there. And what I um, mean by that is freedom in its authentic true nature is unconditioned and it is unconditioned because there is no sight in this world which can affect it there is no sound which can affect it there is no smell which can affect it there is no taste which can affect it there is no Thought. thought which can affect it, there is no feeling which can affect it, no memory which can affect it, no idea or future imagination which can affect it. It is free from conditionality. And furthermore, this freedom cannot be found in the past to have any beginning, because if it had a beginning, what conditioned it? And it can't have an end, because if it have an end, something would have to condition its ending. So freedom is unconditioned, and it is deathless. And this freedom was some of the theme of the talk today. And it can be realised. It can be realised, which means one knows and sees so well and the Buddha, the master of the analogy it is he says as clear and as obvious with a person with good eyes being able to see colour it is that obvious on to that enough thank you thank you Right. Shall we have a, a quiet minute uh, together? <laughs> and I'll just give a little reflection at the end for a moment or two.
May all beings understand the presentations of thought. May all beings explore the heart of experience. May all beings abide with a liberating wisdom. Thank you for uh, lending an ear. Thank you for the leader for kindly taking the uh, time to uh, uh, come. As mentioned earlier, we've had these uh, question answer periods together uh, previously, and I really uh, appreciate the precision and uh, the skill uh, with the questions very much to the point easy to listen to there and uh, hopefully out, out of our uh, uh, time uh, here together with you this evening that some of what was asked and the responses is of some uh, Dharma support for all, all in the, the Sangha and her the very questions that uh, she asks in a way is a, a reflection of the, the wisdom and the understanding uh, shine, shining through the questions themselves this time uh, now is um, 8.40 if the uh, bell ringer please would kindly ring the bell in uh, 20 minutes time and that at, at 9 o'clock and then at 5 minutes past nine, around that time, we'll have the uh, last of the sittings to, of the day together through until uh, 9.30. Some 20, 25 minutes this time, further <laughs> sitting or walking as you wish. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>